You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Podcast number two. <laughs> Podcast number two today. Uh, I'm extremely high on caffeine right now. Had some coffee and I washed it down with a refreshing cherry coke. They're not a partner, by the way. Anyway, today we're going to be talking with a guy named Kevin from Illinois, and I got an email from Kevin a while back, and he's like, uh, "Hey Dan, I shot a buffalo," and I re- <laughs> I replied back to him. You shot, what'd you shoot it with? He replied back to me with a bow. I replied back to him. Do you want to be on my podcast? He replied back to me. Yes. And here we are. So today Kevin is going to talk about uh, a Buffalo trip. He went on to Wyoming and he shot a Buffalo with a bow. And for some reason, I think that's extremely kick-ass and uh, that's why, that's why we're doing this. Um, for some reason, when I think of Buffalo, I think of the Wild West, right? Um, before the white man ruined everything, uh, you know, there's millions of Buffalo all over uh, the United States. They, hunters and humans end up killing them to the point of almost extinction. And then, you know, through conservation, uh, they get built back up enough to actually have hunting seasons for them again. So from some kind of historical value, I think hunting a buffalo is kick-ass. So uh, Kevin's story is pretty cool. It's pretty interesting. Um, the thought process of all of all the, the other animals that are available to hunt in the United States, why a buffalo? And he's going to... Um, 
talk to us about that a little bit. Um, this is the second podcast of the day. Um, I had to put out two because I'm going to a concert later tonight and I'm busy the rest of the week. So either binge on them or, you know, save one for Thursday or Friday, whatever you want to do. I don't care as long as you listen to them. Um, also, real quick, guys, I've talked a lot about Exodus Trail cameras over the past year. They're the title po- uh, partner of this podcast. Um, their products are kick-ass and, um, you know, especially with a five-year warranty, any problems, you go back to them and they will they'll help you out. Um, so go to exodusoutdoorgear.com and be sure to you know do some more research about their camera i think you're going to like what you find out Um, i haven't had any problems with mine yet and when you do decide to purchase one of their trail cameras enter the discount code nine fingers and you will receive twenty dollars off your trail camera order other than that they're just a kick-ass camera so with all that said Let's get into the Mighty Buffalo Hunter podcast with my man Kevin from Illinois. All right, on the phone with me now is Kevin Forrester. Is that correct? That is right. Nailed it. Hey, that was the, that's like, (laughs) I've put out over 150 podcasts and that might be the third time I've ever nailed a name. You're batting 100. You should hang out now. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> well, I tell you what, Kevin, uh, where are you from? What do you do for a living? I am from northern Illinois, um, and I work for uh, for a company called Abbott Labs. I'm in uh, corporate HR there. Corp- and what, what do they do? Um, so they make uh, Similac for babies, um, oh, okay. a lot of nutritional goodies like that, Pedialyte. Um, they do stints to the heart. So if you ever have heart surgery, they're, they're likely involved. Um, so I, I deal with, uh, people through corporate HR there, make sure people get paid and promoted and, and all the fun stuff that goes along with, with work every day. Right. Man, I tell you what, I, of all the places in the corporate world, I would never want to work. I think HR, (laughs) HR would be one of them. Just like some of the BS that people bring. Oh my Lord. Yeah. It has good days. It has bad days, but you know, it's, it's always interesting. I tell you, I was in a job interview one time and, uh, you know, you know, that, that whole, you know, tell me a little bit about your traits. People say in job interviews, well, I'm a people person. Right. I actually went into, I actually went into a, uh, a job interview one time. And I said, I said to the guy interviewing, I go, you know, Five years ago, I would have told you that I, I'm a people person, but uh, after experiencing the corporate life, I realized that I am not a people person, and uh, I'd rather just work by myself if that's cool. <laughs> and they got a kick out of that, and I ended up getting the job, so there's that. Oh, hey, it worked out. It that's did. Good. It did. It did. But uh, you live in Illinois, so what uh you gun hunt you bow hunt i take it you know if you're on if you reached out to me and wanted to be on this podcast and especially the topic that we're going to get to in a little bit you kind of enjoy it all i i do i i if i can get out in the woods i will take whatever weapon the state says i have to take um so i'm mainly a bow hunter um mainly compound i have 
dabbled a little bit in the recurve, um, have not killed a deer yet with the recurve. Um, but turkeys, deer, coyotes, everything that, uh, that I can to get out there. Um, mainly uh, public land here in Illinois, but also some private. And looking forward to a, a new change the state is enacting, I believe, for this upcoming season, where we can now bow hunt during a gun season, which is oh, a, nice. a nice welcome change. So still have to wear orange, have to have the gun tag, but uh, at least we have the choice of weapon now. So okay. That's a, a good thing. Cool. Yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think Iowa, you can, I think in Iowa you can do that. I'm not 100% sure. So don't quote I, me on that. I, I believe you're right. So as long as you're wearing, you got to buy the, you know, buy the shotgun tag and then, um, right. you know, make sure you have the right uh, license and you can use a bow. But um, public land in Illinois. And this, again, I've never, I've never hunted in Illinois, but you know, people always consider Illinois a big buck state in Iowa. I think, oh, 90, over 90% of Iowa is private ground, which leaves little public ground to hunt for individuals. There is some around, but you know, it's not like out West. What's it like in Illinois? I would say 97, 98% is private. Um, up where I live, I'm in the northern part of the state. Um, so we have programs where you have to apply, get accepted, pass a qualification shooting exam. Um, probably three, four hundred people get into the program, and you know they they give you a season date. Either you get a, like a nine day period to hunt, or you can get a half season or a full season. And sometimes they're usually groups of three. And you're hunting a property that's maybe 20 acres, 25 acres. For three guys. So, I mean, the, for three guys. Oh, um, so the pressure is just insane. Um, I think last year on, on one property we hunted, I put in, gosh, over 75 hours and I saw three deer. Wow. So, I mean, it, it is, yeah. There, there are some rough properties in the northern half. If you work farther south, it gets better. Um, but, I mean, only a handful of of properties that are public in the state, um, relative size that are, you know, worth hunting kind of thing. So really tough game over here compared to other states in the area. So, so when I think of a heavy populated area, I think of, you know, from Chicago to Rockford and then North, uh, that, that interstate that runs from Rockford all the way into Madison, Wisconsin, you know, that's kind of a heavily populated area, even over, to to milwaukee and de- back down right um the, off the lake michigan but um as far as density is concerned i take it a lot of people hunt in that area um even on the other public ground where you don't have to draw to get into those pieces is it is it uh, a lot of pressure there as well it is i mean some of the, some of the spots i've been hunting for probably 10 to 15 years now um and you know reasonably sized properties you know for anywhere from 300 to 2000 acres setups like that. Um, but it's not uncommon to see opening weekend. You might see 30, 40 guys on a 2000 acre property, which is still a lot. Um, you know, they're not going to get terribly far from the the parking areas. Um, but if you can get middle of the week, middle to late October, you're usually pretty good. And then after the gun seasons, you know, December 10th or after give or take, um, sometimes you can have the place yourself. which is great. Um, you know, some deer have been harvested, which is how it always goes, but I'd rather have a couple hundred acres to myself with nobody around, um, than, you know, a bunch of deer, but 30 other guys out there. Right. Right. So, you know, with all that pressure, um, 
you mentioned you do hunt some private. Is that what has driven you, excuse me, is that what has driven you to kind of go out and find private ground to hunt? Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the, I I am fortunate. I do have a a small piece of private property. I can hunt fairly close to home. Um, But that's one of those things where there's maybe 10 trees on the whole property. It's all ag. Um, There is some surrounding cover and the deer will come onto this property to feed every night. But, you know, as the season wears on, even if you hunt it a few times, you know, once a week, give or take, um, those deer become nocturnal pretty quick until November. And then, then they start moving a little bit more. So it's just one of those things where you get to hit it at the right times. Um, but that's really driven me. One of my life passions now is to save up and, and get a property of my own. Is You know, a lot of people fall into that boat. Um, I know you've talked about that before, but that's, you know, that's a long-term thing. Um, that's a can be a 30, 40 year process, depending on when you start and what you want to do, how big of a property and, and where you want to get it kind of thing. Right. But so that's, that's a big driver there, but it also does drive me to, you know, look for other hunts. And, uh, now that I have a, a baby and a wife and, you know, started that life, which is great. Um, time is limited as you know, so it's trying to find the best use of time to get some meat in the freezer and, and still have a good hunt and, and have fun throughout the year doing it. So right. that's kind of driven me to, to look West and say, you know, what, what hunts can I go on and, and do it in a week or 10 days and, and have a good time with my dad or with some buddies and just have a, a good hunt overall. Um, one of those hunts that we do every other year is a, a South Dakota duck hunt. That is always fun. It's not big game, but you know, just a lot of fun, kind of a relaxing hunt. Um, so I usually get during a big game hunt, you kind of feel the clock ticking and, you know, you're deciding, do I want to take that animal on the first day? And you can kind of get bogged down with it. Right. Right. So sorry about that, but it's kind of funny, a South Dakota duck hunt. I don't know if it was South Dakota or North Dakota, but back in the late eighties, my uncle used to go, um, on a trip from Iowa to, it was either South or North Dakota, but for some reason, I think it was South Dakota. And there would be a bar on stilts in the middle of absolutely nowhere. For some reason, for some reason, there was no electricity to it. They would have to take boats and, um, uh, boats to keep the, you know, to haul ice in and beer in. And I think like there was only two or three selections, but for some reason, this bar on stilts in the middle of this giant piece of public ground was grandfathered in. The only way you could get to it was by boat or by like some kind of four by four. And they were only open during duck season. And (laughs) he was telling me the stories about how they would, uh, you know, go up, go in the mornings, they'd go duck hunting. They'd head to this bar and have like, you know, I don't know, cold meat sandwiches and beer. And then they'd head back out into the duck blind for the afternoon. And, uh, that was what they did for like four or five days. So that seemed pretty fun. Now, I don't know if that uh, bar is still there, but I don't know. I kind of th- thought that was a funny story. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's how, uh, I think a lot, both the Dakotas are where it's, you know, kind of a, a slower paced style and, right. you know, go out and try and shoot some birds in the morning and, relax during the middle of the day and if you want to go back out in the afternoon head back out in the afternoon and see if you can't pick up a couple more and you know it's just a a, a good uh, change of speeds if you will from from grinding it out in the deer stand all day in november and just kind of mixing it up right so on uh you know 
I think we talked about this earlier, but Illinois would be considered a big buck state, right? When people say, hey, n- name yeah. a name a place where you can go shoot a giant whitetail, Illinois has got to be up in the top of the list. Now, um, with that said, you know, you're hunting some pressured public ground and you have a small piece of private you can hunt. What's your goal going into every every year as far as age class and or um and or like uh, antler size yeah and uh i kind of split it up two ways on the private ground that i hunt um run trail cameras pretty much all year have a a pretty good idea by the fourth of july what's going to be there um the problem i run into there is we'll get some decent deer and by decent you know maybe a a four-year-old 140 class deer um be there in the summer you know maybe one or two and then september early october rolls around and they will disappear um so my goal is always you know if i can get a solid three-year-old or four-year-old um regardless of score on that property that is that's a good deer um chances of doing that that's maybe once every two or three years i would say um realistically um the public ground um, I view that as if I can get a nice mature doe for the freezer, that's a good hunt. Um, that's usually a long weekend that I'll take every once in a while, you know, maybe two or three times during the season. Um, you know, I'll, I'll hunt some public ground in addition to the public ground I hunt near my house. I'll make a trip downstate somewhere, um, hunt a property for two, three, four nights and then, uh, come on back. So if I can you know, get on a nice deer. That's great. Um, I don't have the time to, to run trail cameras. So, um, there are certainly good deer there. One forties, one fifties, you know, four year olds, five year olds. Um, but few and far between, I would say in the, the 10 plus years that I've been hunting public ground in Illinois, I've seen maybe five deer that I would, I would say are pushing one fifty. Okay. I gotcha. In that area, in that area, that few and far between. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, have over the years, have you been what you would consider a successful bow hunter or a successful hunter, um, accomplishing yeah, your goals? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've killed a Pope and Young on, uh, on public ground, which for, for Illinois, for that property is, is a success. Um, I've killed probably 40 plus deer, you know, a lot of does, a lot of two, three year old bucks. Um, but it's just one of those things where they got to walk by and you got to have, uh, have access to them. And when you're hunting with 30, 40 other guys, it, it makes it quite difficult. So, um, no, it's one of those things where once I get a deer in the freezer, then I really dial it up and say, you know, I'm, I'll wait for a nice four year old or, or nothing. You know, one deer will be good enough. And if I can't get it done, I can't get it done. So. Gotcha. So when, and this is kind of, we're going to transition into, um, a couple hunts that you did out West, uh, the past couple of years, but what, what kind of transitioned you to say, Hey, I want to try something different and I want to go out West. Um, the, the first time, um, I've always wanted to kill an elk. I think there are a lot of guys from the Midwest that, you know, see it on TV or hear stories of somebody going out West and say, it really can't be that hard. You know, the huge antlers, they bugle, it's like turkey hunting on steroids. This cannot be that difficult. <laughs> So uh, a, a friend of mine that I went to college with, I twisted his arm and said, well, you know, let's go up to Colorado. We were both single guys. Let's take 10 days opening week of the season. We'll get out there a couple days early. Let's pick the highest success unit we can with a bow 
and let's just see if we can't, uh, you know, either get a cow or, or get a legal bull, um, which in our unit was a four-point bull um, on one side. And uh, so we went out there, I think this was 2012 or 2013, um, we went out to central Colorado, and, and that just, that kicked our butts. Um, it was before, before we started recording, was, I think the term you used was a nightmare hunt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, was, it was a nightmare. Explain on that. <laughs> yeah, so you know, obviously, we did a lot of a lot of scouting online. We we'd figure out where we wanted to go. We'd talk to an outfitter in the area who was extremely helpful, and said, you know, hey, here's some areas you're going to want to look at. Here's some areas you can camp at, have access to water, and then you can go from there each day. So we kind of had a plan as far as where we wanted to go. We could get up high in glass every day, and we thought, you know, we'll just sit there, we'll glass, it'll be pretty straightforward, and when we see some elk, then we can go from there. So we got out there the first day. I think the season might open on a Friday or Saturday, so we got out there on a Thursday. We camped in the parking lot, and this was a wilderness area, so no motorized vehicles. It was either horse or foot, Yep. and we had our tent, we had all the gear. You know, I think our packs were probably 70 to 80 pounds each. And we were just going to drop everything, set up a spike camp, and then go from there and maybe have 10 to 20 pounds in our packs. So the first day it rained, all day Thursday when we got there. Next day, downpouring. But we still wanted to go get set up. It gave us a little break in the afternoons. So we, we hiked out there. And six miles never felt more like 60. Um, yeah. It was just the roughest six miles you've ever seen in your life. Um, we finally got to camp late in the day, got everything set up, got out the next day to go do some scouting. And it was just thick, nasty, no openings whatsoever. You could not see more than a hundred yards. Um, and we were hoping to find waters. We moved up the mountain through some streams so we could, you know, keep going. Um, I think we camped at 7,000 feet and we're trying to get up to nine or 10, um, and my buddy got altitude sickness. Oh, man. Um, Been there. So, and it's a terrible thing. I felt terrible for him because he he didn't want to end it, but I was like, you know, you got to eat more than a blueberry muffin a day when you're putting out that kind of energy. Yeah. Um, So after two days of that and him eating, you know, like a Pop-Tart and a blueberry muffin, I I just said, you know, we we can't do this. There's there's no way if, if we even get one down that we can get it out of here. And so... We just scrapped that one a little bit early and and learned our lesson that, uh, you know, open is a little bit better when elk hunting. You you need the visibility. Um, Cover is great, but you need the meadows and and open areas where you can class them. Gotcha. Yeah. That was was rough. That was was a big learning curve. (laughs) Right. So for me, and this is going to get to what we're going to be talking about here, um, I went on an elk hunt, right? Um, I went on, Mm -hmm. I've only been on one elk hunt. I've been on a mule, a mule deer hunt, um, or let's see, the elk hunt was in Idaho. We're talking, that was some pretty steep terrain. The mule deer and antelope hunt that I went on was in some, not mountains, but big rolling hills and as actually in the sand hills in Nebraska, right? So no elevation okay. um, there. So not very hard. Now, when people start thinking, Hey, I want to go out West and I want to hunt a mule deer or an elk or maybe a moose or an antelope, right? But you your second trip out West was not for any of those animals. It was for a bison, a Buffalo. I want to, I want to know, first of all, why did you decide to, to go the Buffalo route and 
and like skip all the other, I guess I, I would say standard uh, Western style animals. You know what I mean? Your typical Western. Yeah. Animals. Yeah. It's, it's not the usual route. Usually you kind of build up, start with the antelope and the mule deer and then, you know, build from right, there. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I'd seen a couple of bison hunts on TV and I'm like, man, that would be awesome. You know, the, the heaviest land animal in North America, once you get the tag, seems like a relatively easier hunt, um, you know, in, in something that, you know, at this point, I didn't have anyone else that uh, was available to go out west on a hunt. Um, I couldn't twist this buddy's arm again. He was he was not going to go around two on an elk, um, and, and other guys that I hunt with weren't uh, weren't free. So I was really looking for a hunt that I could do guided and do on my own um, and, and be able to be successful. So when I was looking into it, um, you know, there were a few options, um, and just due to, due to funding, I mean, you can only apply for so many tags because oftentimes you have to front the tag fee. It's, it's a fair amount of money. Um, so I decided just to focus on bison and I applied in Utah and I applied in Wyoming, okay. both for before a cow get, bison. But before we get there, mm-hmm. why bison? Uh, mainly because, you know, I just wanted to do something that was accessible. Um, believe it or not, the, the bison hunts, if you can get drawn are a pretty doable hunt as far as success rate goes. Um, you know, elk, if you get drawn, you can go guide it and and have a pretty good, uh, success rate, you know, maybe 50, 60%. Um, but the, the tag is pricey. The outfitter, if you were to use one would be very pricey. Um, so really, it was just a, a logistics thing. Um, I'd always wanted to hunt bison. It was kind of top of my list, uh, bison and moose. Um, as a kid, we'd gone out to uh, Yellowstone, and they're just kind of roaming the streets. And I'm like, man, you know, I remember asking my dad, can, can we hunt them here? It's like, no, no, you can't, you can't hunt them in Yellowstone. They're protected. You know, I was maybe eight years old. Um, and I'm like, man, someday I really want to hunt those because they they're huge. You know, they're bigger yeah. than a car. And... Uh, so I saw a hunt online and, uh, it's like, man, how, you know, how can I go about getting a tag? Is this even doable? And it really started from there. I started doing some research and kind of found that, you know what, this, this might be doable. It might take a number of years to get drawn, but I, I think that, uh, you know, I can do this while I'm relatively young and, and have a good go at it. Right. Okay. So how, how many years did it take you to put, you know, to, to put in points for this before you were drawn. Yeah. It, uh, I, I was very fortunate. It, it took me one try. <laughs> okay. One try. I, uh, I, was I, it, a lottery? Try. it was a pure lottery. Yeah. Okay. I gotcha. Now, so, and you said these were considered free range, right? Fair chase. Correct. Okay. Yep. Pope and young eligible. Yes. Okay. Now my question is, are, were any of these, because you you mentioned you you used an uh, a guide for this, were all of mm-hmm. these were, were these bison at all on public ground, or was it all private? They were they were always on public ground. Okay, I would say almost their entire life. Okay, all right. So they yep. they so they actually have elk or excuse me bison now that are that are on public ground that are 100% not taken care of by humans anymore. 
Correct. Okay, yep, one hundred percent free and fair chase, and have been that way for probably, gosh, a thousand years. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. So that's uh, so, you know, because what what you always hear about buffalo is you hear you know hey back in the day they they became extinct or almost extinct you know we hunted them to the point of almost extinction then you know through conservation we helped build them back up but you know a lot of them had you know you know a lot of them had to be taken care of almost like cattle because we had we had gone past our limits as you know humans destroying them um but it's good to hear that you know now it's back you know, we have free range wild buffalo that are on public hunting ground in Wyoming or, you know, out west that because, uh, you know, some of that stuff probably wouldn't happen if it was in, you know, the Dakotas or um, Nebraska, you know, back in some of that range just because of cattle operations. Right. And, and that's a, a big issue um, right now. So Wyoming's objective currently, and they run into this problem every year with ranchers is their herd objective is around 800 animals um, they want in in the southern Yellowstone region so just maybe 100 miles south of Yellowstone but cattle ranchers lean on the government so much to keep those numbers in check rather than just letting them grow because of brucellosis which is a disease that that free-range bison carry and if they come in contact with um, you know the cattle herds um, they can transmit it to them and then those, those cows can't get pregnant anymore. And if they do, they abort the baby. Um, so the cattle ranchers really, really kind of butt heads with, with the government as far as how many bison there should be. Man. What they really cr- lean on them. In, in Yellowstone, they eradicate them. I mean, they think they kill four or 500 a year. They just round them up and, and get rid of them. Uh, you mean buffalo or cattle? Buffalo, yeah. They, oh. No, buffalo. They will round up the wild herd, you know, get them into a pen and you know, then, then shoot them and, and donate the meat because the, the cattle ranchers lean on, on the government to keep the numbers in check. For the grazing rights. Yeah, exactly. Man, that's crazy. That is nuts. It, it's it's ridiculous, and people are dying to get tags, right? I mean, right. Uh, some tags are less than a 2% chance to draw. Right, man. Yeah, it, and, you know, <laughs> number one, they could put in stipulations. Yeah, come shoot a buffalo. You can You can have half the meat. And right. and then give the other half to the poor or whatever whatever they do with it donate the, donate it, but I right. always I always see before you have to go to that that length of rounding something up and killing it give the hunters their fair share first I, I'm pretty sure they'll be successful. Right, and I mean the state would make a, a ton of money right that they could use towards fighting brucellosis and you know maybe double fencing some, some areas or something. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or treating them for it and, you know, trying to eradicate the disease and getting everything back to where it should be. Right. Man, that's crazy. All right. So, so you get drawn, right? You're like, holy shit, I'm going to go, I'm going to go shoot a buffalo. I'm going to go to try to shoot a buffalo. Now, before you did any research, what did you think a buffalo hunt was going to be like? Because I have, like, if someone said to me, okay, um, you're going to go shoot a buffalo. For some reason, I th- I don't see it being hard for some reason. Right. In, I'm, in, I'm in, thinking that yep. because they're like cattle in a way, right? They're they're just dumb animals that are like cows. You, you can walk right up to them, right? Right. Yeah. And, that, you know, that's kind of what I thought. I'd, you know, I'd seen some hunts throughout the year. So 
you know, I thought there, there were a couple different types that I could potentially draw. Some are in the mountains. There would be, you know, more of a difficult hunt. The one in Wyoming I, I knew was kind of a simpler hunt. I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be pretty straightforward. You know, they, they typically run 90% success or better. Granted, that's 99% of guys with a rifle. Um, you know, and it's just once the snow comes, they come down out of their winter range or come into their winter range, you know, down around six, 7,000 feet. And, you know, it should be pretty straightforward. You walk up and, and you shoot one. I thought it'd be, I thought it'd be a cakewalk. <laughs> and, you're, and you, and you decided to do this with a bow too, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. I had, uh, had just a bow. Just a bow. Okay. So yep. when you started preparing for this hunt as from, a you know, from a, an archery, did you have to up, upgrade your archery gear? Because this is, you know, potentially a 1500 to 2000 pound animal that you're going to be killing. Um, did you, did you have to like get heavier arrows? Did you change your broadheads at all? Did you up your bow poundage, anything like that? I, I did. I pretty much start to finish. I, uh, already had a 70 pound bow. So I was, I was set there. Um, but I, I built new arrows. Um, I went with a Easton FMJ and a 250 spine, and I think the total arrow weight ended up at 926 grains, wow. um, just over like 200 feet per second. Um, and I had a, a 300 grain broadhead, a single bevel. Um, so it was just a, a ton of weight up front and a, a really, really slow, heavy arrow. Um, and I went from, I had a five pin sight and I could essentially use three and a half pins okay. um, because the pin gaps got so big. Gotcha. Gotcha. Because well, you were shooting such a heavy arrow. Okay, cool. Um, so what, yeah. what was your range? Like, did you, did you say, okay, well, it's cause it's a bigger animal. I got a slower arrow. I got to be inside a certain yardage. Yeah, I, I pretty much limited it to 45 to 50 yards max. Um, and, and talking to some other guys that had been out there, they said, you really want to keep it inside 40. Although you can hit what you're aiming at out to 45 and 50, um, keep it inside 40 if at all possible, just to get the penetration. Um, make sure you get both lungs. If you hit a rib, I mean, ribs can be half an inch to three quarters of an inch thick. Um, so if you, you hit one square on both sides, it, you're not going to get much penetration. Um, and although they're huge, I mean, it's, it's like shooting at a minivan rolling down the street. Right. Um, you, you still kind of have a, a 10 inch circle that you want to hit right, right by that elbow. If you can go through the elbow, great. Otherwise just behind it. Right. Um, cause their lungs are so big. You really want to hit them in the heart. Okay. So, Okay. You, you change your gear up, you start practicing, uh, you, I take it, you felt fairly confident. Um, what, what time of year was this hunt? So I left the day after Christmas, um, and flew out there and the hunt started on December 27th. Okay. Um, it was, uh, and I, I had four days. I had to, I had to be back in Illinois, um, for work, um, for January 2nd. So I had to, and I had two days of travel coming home. I okay. flew out and drove back. I gotcha. Where did you, where did you fly into? I flew straight into Jackson, Wyoming. Okay. I gotcha. All right. Flew direct. So you flew to Jackson, Wyoming, um, and that's where the hunt was based out of? Correct. Yeah. The hunt was on the, um, National Elk Refuge. It's a, it was made a federal property. I think 
in the 1940s, if okay. memory serves. Um, and it's 60,000 acres of pure grassland. And every winter for hundreds of years, the elk and, and bison have been coming down to graze on this, this area in the winter. Um, and then when snow starts to, to melt, they go back up into the, the surrounding mountains. So gotcha. it's maybe a mile from, from downtown Jackson. You can, you can walk from the hotel, which is just crazy. So, so you got out, you, you were able to stay in a hotel and then walk to your hunt from there. Uh, essentially I could have, I, oh, I mean, we, okay. we drove, there's an access road, but I mean, there, there are people, you know, there are from time to time. I did not experience this, but there have been from time to time, anti-hunting groups that will go out and inspectate, if you will. Um, gotcha. there are just locals that like to go out and, and view the wildlife. It's a big tourist attraction because there's 7,000 elk there in the winter. Yeah. Man, I tell you what, I would, I'd be one of those people. I just sit on top of a mountain with a pair of binoculars and watch. That'd be awesome. It, it, it's, it's awesome. There were several bulls pushing 370, 380 class, just walking around. It's nice. insane. <laughs> nice. So, you know, you is, is this particular hunt, are you required to have a guide? You are not. You are not. Um, in, okay. in talking to the the game and fish and preparation for it, I said, you know, I'd like to do things on my own. What do you think? Is it, is it doable for a non-resident? And they said, do you have horses? I said, no. <laughs> they said, uh, do you have uh, six, seven, eight people coming with you? I said, no. And they said, a guide is required. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they strongly encourage you to, to use an outfitter. Um, and surprisingly, it's not even to get the animal out if you kill one. Um, but a lot of it is because I had a cow tag. There were only 43 people with a cow tag. Okay. Um, they had 12 people shoot the wrong sex of animal. So they had 12 people with a cow tag shoot a bull. <laughs> oh. um, in which case your animal is confiscated and you can't apply in the state for five years. And you get a fine. Okay. Um, so they, they can be very hard to differentiate. One guy shot a Boone and Crockett bull on a cow tag. Which wow. I don't know how you do that, but... Um, that was their main reasoning. They really don't other, like when people do that and they understand it, but it shouldn't happen at the end of the day. Other than a huge set of balls hanging off the backside, <laughs> what is the difference between a, a bull and a cow bison? The, the best way to differentiate is if they're looking at you head on and the shape of the horn or the thickness of the horn as well as they kind of have an afro on top. A bull will have a nice afro in between the horn tips. Yeah. Um, their horn bases will be about twice the thickness, up to a 16-inch uh, base. And the curve will be more gradual, whereas a cow is really going to hook in tight and the tips are almost going to touch. A bull spread wider, and their, their body is just gigantic compared to yeah. a cow. Okay. They're 2,000 pounds, 2,100 pounds. Okay. All right, so, so this to me seems like, in a way, a specialty hunt, right? This to me seems like, and I'm just talking because I'm ignorant about all this stuff, but seems to me that th- uh, a hunt like this would cost a lot of money. How much did it cost um, to to get this particular tag? So to apply, you have to front a $1,000 tag fee. Okay. Um, and that's for a cow. If you, if you apply for a bull tag, it's 2,500. Um, and then you have the outfitter cost, um, which in my case was 2,500, which relatively, I mean, that is not cheap. 
$3,500 up front, right? Yeah, correct. Okay. You know, once you have the tag and everything, it's 3500 bucks, and then you just have to get there and, and get home kind of thing. Right. So... So when it's all said and done, right, you got $3,500. That included the um, $1,000 for uh, the the fee or the tag, right, for the – is that Correct. right? Okay, yep. $2,500 yep. for the guide or, guide or outfitter. Uh, and then travel, how much in, would you say in general travel cost? I would say travel, um, depending on where you live, if you were going to drive your own vehicle, if you had a pickup truck driving both ways, you could certainly do that you're reasonably close within you know 10 12 hours under a thousand bucks total okay. um probably including the hotel gotcha including the hotel so uh anywhere yeah. between this hunt was anywhere between 4500 to five thousand dollars for you correct yeah okay give or take yeah give or take okay all right so is this something is this something that you had to save for or is this something that you had had been planning um, I, not necessarily for a bison hunt cause you drew your first year, but, um, money saved or allocated for something special like this for several years, or was this just a, Hey, I'm going to go shoot a bison. Here's, you know, money out of my savings. <laughs> no, this, this is something, you know, that although I hadn't applied for the tag yet, I, I always have some set aside for this and that. Um, and, Thankfully, my my loving wife is is great. As she has said, you know what? You can only draw this tag once. Like you, you literally have one chance at this. You have four days. Use the money, and you better get it done, and you better come home. <laughs> um, and, and then at the end, uh, she decided, you know what? I, I think uh, Grandma and Grandpa can watch the baby for a little bit, and and Jackson Hole seems like a nice little area. So I'm I'm coming with you, and I'm gonna you know go check out the shops while you're out hunting every day. So I oh, said, oh, so she came with. All right, but, she came with, so she okay. flew out uh, the day after I got there, and it was it was great. I mean, it was awesome to have her there, and we went out to dinner after each day's hunt, and uh, you know, then we had a nice cross country trip back in uh, in a budget rental truck, believe it or not, all the way back to to Illinois. So we had we had a good time. Nice, nice, and I've been to uh, the most expensive town in the world i had i got gypped out mm-hmm. of a, i got yeah. gypped out of a tent uh, but but uh as i needed it it was either you know fork over the yeah. 600 bucks for the six or seven hundred dollars for the tent right. or sleep with a buddy in a two-man tent which would have been almost impossible but um and i've i've been to that that store where you got your tent i believe that's where i uh sighted in my bow when i got out there and you you're right there's there's nothing cheap out there <laughs> absolutely not i think honestly <laughs> Next to maybe New York City, uh, it is the most expensive town to live in in the oh, United States. Oh, yeah, totally believe that. Yeah, that's nuts. Um, <laughs> but all right, so you get out there. What was what was the your first hunt like? I mean, did you when once you got out there, did you drive and do any glassing or scouting? You know, before you met up with the outfitter. I mean, did this guy? these guys obviously know where the herd is throughout the entire year because that's their job, right? Right. So they, they do this. Um, they also do a lot of mule deer and elk. Um, so they did, you know, in talks throughout the summer, they'd kind of inform me this hunt is solely dependent on weather. If, if we have snow and we have cold, this, it's going to be a great hunt. If it's, you know, no snow cover, we're not going to see any bison. And that's just how it's going to be. 
Um, so, you know, you're kind of dependent on the weather, and that's why we chose later in the year. Um, but it, when I got there and met up with them, I did go out that first day. I was able to walk to the refuge from the hotel, and I took a couple hours and, and glassed up some, some elk. I did not see any bison, um, and then I met with them that first night. And they'd said there were some bison that had come down out of the mountains, but it, it had been a little slow. Um, so the first day, I you know really didn't know what to expect. I met them. Um, we drove out uh, to the refuge, and there's a kind of a 10-mile access road, which is really just a gravel road on one side of the property that runs from south to north, um, and everybody has to come in and come out that way. And there are access permits. So everybody who draws a bison tag has to apply for a three- or four-day window when they can access the property. Well, there's only 25 permits per week. Um, but apparently, unbeknownst to me, uh, the state had decided to close the season two weeks early and had called everybody with a later access permit and said, we are waiving access permits. Everyone may hunt whenever they would like up until I think it was January 10th um, to try and kill a buffalo. So that morning, the first morning out there, we were saddling up the horses. It is a horseback hunt. Yeah. Um, and I think there were 45 people out there already. And Holy we were probably smokes. 30 minutes before shooting light. So I'm like, gosh, this is Illinois all over. Right. Um, were, was everybody so, out there at this point going for Buffalo as well? Correct. Yeah. That was the only thing that was open to hunting at that time. Okay. There was, so there were four, 45 guys out going for bison a majority for a cow. Um, I was the only one with a bow. All right. Um, and kind of how the, the refuge breaks down there. I think there are two or three private residences on the property that are grandfathered in right. and they have their, their property fenced off. Um, so you can't discharge a firearm near their house, which makes sense. So those are designated as archery only areas. Gotcha. Um, and then just past that, there's a shotgun and muzzleloader area. And then when you get farther away, it's anything goes kind of thing. Right. So the first day we got there, get on the horses, um, and the weather was great. There was a ton of snow. There was crusted over ice, um, and it was it was cold. I think it's five degrees and probably blowing twenty miles an hour. Um, so we we got on the horses and we saw I think twenty to twenty five bison all day. Um, did see a couple get shot um, with a rifle, but it was one of those things where if you go any faster than a walk on a horse those bison know the gig and and they just start trotting and and they don't stop <laughs> so um we we're kind of parallel with them for 10 hours that first day on horse and uh that left a lot to be desired because that that's a painful process i'm not not familiar with horses had not ridden one before um and that was that was rough after that first day just kind of walking around and trying to stretch out but it was <laughs> so it was good that we saw some but it was the guide was he was kind of disappointed because he's like look the weather's good but there should be three four five hundred bison here and we saw 20 and there's 45 guys you know with 45 tags and there's only 20 animals right and you know, for so every, it, was, it was it was a rough first day so it wasn't really 45 guys right i mean it was 45 like if it was 45 guys, there's probably one or two extra other guys on horses oh, outfitting yeah. them. So we're talking a lot of people out there all going towards the same herd. Did that? Correct. I mean, it's at that point, it almost would look like a cattle drive at some point. Did that? It, uh, it, <laughs> it was a zoo. 
Um, I mean, the, the very first time we kind of, we found the herd, they were not, they were maybe a mile from the road yeah. and it's so flat that it was extremely visible. So the guy having done this many times said, we're just going to walk parallel with them. If we can get in front of them, you know, we'll get off the horse, we'll get the bow ready and, and we'll kind of wait for them to walk up to us rather than pushing them. But as you're getting in position, here come other guys. A lot of these are, are residents, you know, they come with a couple buddies, they own horses and they're just doing this on their own because they can drag them out with the horse when they're done. And they got a rifle and they get to like 200 yards. They dismount the horse and they shoot them, a bison drops and then the rest of the herd just spooks, Yeah, you know, and they're, they're off. So it's like, I was like, man, this, this is, this is going to be tough with a bow. And you just kind of feel like the, the time is ticking away. And, you know, it's only only three days left and really wasn't even close that first day to, to getting one. So, Wow, that's crazy. And, and I'm surprised that 200 yards is a long, is, and for me, is a long ways. And if, you know, it is. if you're saying to me that you were able to parallel these deer, and then it sounds to me like these other guys just rode up, boom, shot one, went and got it, and right. left. So that's right. F- from a from a, a a rifle standpoint, it sounds like it's shooting fish in a barrel. At that at that particular yeah, from a, point, from a from a rifle standpoint, um, it, it, if you have a horse and a rifle, you're going to kill a bison. There's there's no doubt about it. It's, gotcha. It's pretty much a slam dunk. Um, but a lot of the you know, and this is a, a once in a lifetime tag for everybody. And a lot of guys killed calves. I mean, they're, they're killing a seven, eight month old bison, which um, is great eating. There's no doubt about it. You're going to get, you know, a couple hundred pounds of some of the best meat out there. Um, but it was just an interesting dynamic to see. It, it really reminded me of public land hunting back home where it was just jam packed and kind of anything goes. <laughs> so huh. that's crazy. All right. So yeah. day one ended with, I mean, what was the, clo- on day one, what was the closest that you got? Oh, we probably got to probably 60, 70 yards and, and then a shot rang out and off went the herd. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so, so when you say parallel, paralleling them, right, you're, you're, you're walking, you're walking and then you're, you're slowly just closing the distance or are you coming into yeah. like some terrain features that kind of funnel them all down towards something and then because you're on a horse and you're walking at a relaxing pace, they don't pay any attention to you? Yeah, it's kind of like um, if you've ever seen somebody hunt antelope with a horse where, you know, they just kind of walk behind the horse. Yep. Um, that's kind of the finish game here. But for the majority of the day, you're just sitting on the horse, a nice steady walk. And the bison really don't care too much about the horses. But as soon as somebody would get off a horse, whether it's in our group or, you know, somebody else, all alerted, tails would go up, and they'd be out of there pretty quick. Wow. So it was the, the end goal is just walk side by side with them. If they stop to eat, you kind of keep walking to get in front of them mm-hmm. and just slowly close that angle and get as close as you can. And once they start getting a little twitchy, you know, if you're close enough, then, then the idea would be to get off, get the bow ready and, and pick out an animal to shoot. Gotcha. All right. Um, day one, unsuccessful. Uh, was this an all day thing? I mean, from sunup till sundown, you were chasing them. Um, it was pretty close. Um, so it started, I mean, we were out there probably about six o'clock shooting time, I think was seven, seven thirty. 
Um, and I think we ended about two thirty or three o'clock because the bison had they'd scattered so much, and I think the original herd had gone from twenty to maybe twelve or thirteen. I think eight or nine guys got one with a rifle. Um, and it's one of those things where there were a couple calves here and there, and then there were some bulls. Neither of which I, I couldn't shoot a bull, and I wasn't going to shoot a calf. So yeah. it was it was just one of those things where you know we saw some some uh, bison up on top of a mountain at about 10,000 feet. They were bedded down and they were about four or five miles away. Um, but they were on public ground that was not um, accessible to hunting. So it was one of those things where we were hoping they would move down overnight and, and be able to kind of get on those the second day. But gotcha. we were dependent on them moving down. So day, day one ends, day two starts, uh, same, same amount of guys at that, uh, parking spot or wherever. Did you run into the same amount of people the next day? Yes. Yeah, it, it was pretty much the same thing. And, uh, it was really unique because on the drive in, you know, it, it was cold that day. It was snowing and it was about five to 10 degrees, 30 mile an hour winds. Um, same number of guys. So it's like a field of dreams set up where the, you see the headlights just coming forever. Um, and on the way in, you know, we were, we were glassing in the dark, uh, via the snow cover and the moonlight to determine whether the animals out there were elk or whether they were bison. Um, and on the drive in, we found some bison bedded in the archery only area. There were probably a hundred fifty to a hundred bison, laying down maybe hundred yards from the road. Okay. Um, and it was archery only. I was the only guy with a bow. Um, so essentially we, we went, we got everything ready, got the horses saddled up. Um, and we just watched car after car after car drive by. Some didn't even see them yeah. and, and some stopped, glassed them, determined, yeah, they're in the bow only area and, and had to keep moving. Right. So, uh, th- that was the start of the second day and it was, uh, Kind of fortunate that they ended up there. Yeah, and that's the thing. So, like, the first thing that instantly came to my head was, all right, man, they're in this archery only. If you screw this up, then they start piling back away from... Oh, yeah. And then and then they get into the, the gun range. So, was your mm-hmm. idea then to get in between the gun range and the bison so they were... Even if they did spook a little bit, you they were still going to be on this uh, bow-only uh, right. section? Well, that I'm glad you said that because, you know, as a newbie, that's exactly what I thought. You know, I, I told the guy, I'm like, so we're going to circle around, get between the, the rifle area and the bison, and we'll slowly work into them and push them kind of back towards the base of the mountain where it's archery only. And the guy's like, that, no, we're, we're not going to do it that way because, one, they're likely going to get up. And as soon as they get towards the base of the mountain, it's over. Like they may not come back for days and it, it's just not, uh, not practical in that we maybe had between the base of the mountain and where they were bedded, it was maybe two, 300 yards. Um, so he thought if you bump them and you, d- you don't get it right that very first try, you're not going to see them again and it's going to be over for you and it's going to be over for everybody else. So he said, even if we push them and they get into that gun zone and we don't kill one by then, we have the rest of the day. We'll be able to split some off and, and see if we can't get back on them. Okay. So you know, it was one of those things where I didn't necessarily agree with it, but right. I said, look, you've been doing this longer than I have. So you're the boss. Tell okay. me what to do. So what, what happened? So we, we got on the horses and we 
we walked down the the side of the property essentially and sat there looking at our watch, making sure it was uh, legal shooting light before we started getting too close to them. We were probably a hundred yards and they were just laying down, chewing their cud. And uh, there were two uh, federal agents there that had their spotting scopes attached to their truck from the parking lot. And they're just watching to make sure you shoot the right animal. Um, They're there all day, every day. So, you know, the guy's like, I will tell you which one to shoot. If we get close enough, you shoot the one I tell you to. I'm like, okay. So we, uh, we walked in on them once we get to legal light and we kind of thought, you know, they might stay there. We might be able to get off and, and be really patient here. Um, but as soon as we got within 70, 80 yards, they stood right up and they started to trot off right towards the gun section. And I thought, Oh boy, here we go again. Um, but eventually they kind of slowed down. They started to eat the grass a little bit, graze around. We were able to get pretty much parallel with them and we just stopped. They looked at us, determined we really weren't a threat. Let me get off the horse, get my bow, get everything ready. Um, and at that point the guide ranged them and they were 34 yards. Um, and there's probably 50 of them, but they're all stacked up. So he, he found a cow, um, at the back of the herd and, uh, said that one with the snow all over, that's, that's the one. As soon as she gets broadside, you know, you can shoot her. So she finally separated. She had no calf with her. And, uh, so at 30 yards, I shot her and she just turned right back around, went right into the herd and just kept walking. And they just walked off. Like nothing has happened. Shot was maybe eight inches back to the elbow and a third of the way up right through the lungs and uh, had a lighted knock on it, went almost all the way through, buried up to the knock, and uh, How long was this? Like, How long was it from the time that you got out of the truck on day two to the time you, you know, position, got into position and made the shot? Um, after waiting for daylight, it was probably 15 minutes. So okay. in total, from the time we arrived at the parking lot until the first shot, maybe 30, 35 minutes. Okay. And then, uh, so she walked off and the guide said, let's get back on the horse. We get a circle around and, and keep track of her in the herd. Um, and she finally split off and kind of circled back where they'd camp all come from. So she was all separate now. And the guide, the guide had told me before we ever started, he's like, if a bison is on its feet, you are shooting. I don't care if you hit it dead. Perfect. You are shooting until they drop. Yeah. So we, we got in front of her again. Uh, he ranged her at 45 yards and she was kind of walking, quartering away. He's like, you know, if, if you can hit her, shoot her. So by the time I shot her, she was probably 55 yards walking slightly away. Um, and, and that one ran all the way through from her, her back, right, all the way up through her left shoulder. Um, and at that point she, she ran pretty hard and ran right back to where they were bedded and, and lay down. And I'm like, Oh, this is good. And uh, he's like, no, you know, the great shot, two good shots on her right through the lungs. Um, but she's not dead, so you're shooting again. I'm like, oh, fair enough. <laughs> so we, uh, we were able to, to get up to 20 yards, put an arrow right through her. And she stood up and started walking towards us at that point. And this is three arrows right through the lungs. The last one was a clean pass through. Um, so he said, she's still standing, shoot her again. So I, I put a fourth one through her in, in that cut the bottom of her heart and, and she fell right down. Okay. So it was unbelievable. I mean, on a white tail, you would have said that deer's dead and 40 yards, 50 yards. Right. And acted like nothing happened. <laughs> right. So, so you, 
were you at all at any point, you know, the first shot, 30 some yards, like shaking, like getting some kind of buck fever? Were you, were you pretty reserved and focused? Um, What was kind of running through your head at this point? I think on, on the first shot, I was a little nervous just knowing one, you know, you don't want to mess that up because you have one chance in your life to do this right. Um, so I was nervous, but it wasn't like when a whitetail's coming in and you hear that crunch, 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 and then you see the rack and you, you, and you know how it's going to play out, but you still have to wait for it and you have to make it play out that way. Um, this was kind of, I know the distance. It's a huge animal. I mean, there's, there's no way you were missing a bison with a bow at 30 yards. It's not going to happen. Um, but it was get the arrow where it needs to go, make sure there's not a bison behind her, you know, look for the feet, um, and and just make sure you follow through and and make a really good shot. So it was more of a mechanical process, which sometimes that happens on deer, but not all the times, but usually when it does for me on a deer, it's a good shot. Um, so it was more of that. The, The part where I got nervous was after I shot her the third time when she stood up and started walking towards us a little bit, that, that can just be a dangerous situation. Right. So, so but relatively calm. Okay. So you, you, you put four arrows in her, you got her down. Um, was this all on the back of the horse or were you walking alongside the horse when you were shooting? So all, all shots were on the ground. Okay. Um, never, never from a horse. So always dismounting. Um, and then, you know, so in between the, uh, first and second shot, um, uh, we had to get back on the horse to kind of figure out where she'd gone in the herd. She'd got back into the middle of the herd. So then we, we just followed her until she separated on her own. Um, and then the last one she'd, she'd kind of laid down. Um, but we just wanted to finish her off as, as quickly as we could. And the whole sequence from the first shot to the last shot was maybe, maybe three minutes, if that. Okay two to three minutes. Okay. So she traveled maybe 150, 200 yards. Gotcha. Tops. Now, so it was just a matter of when Go ahead. this, when this bull finally, or when, bull, when this uh, cow finally died, you shot it the fourth time and it ended up healing over. You probably waited a little bit longer for it to fully die. Did you have to shoe off other bison from, uh, this one's location or I mean, or did, or did they, by then after this one fell, they, they kind of worked their way away. Yeah. They, they had already, after that first shot, they kind of kept on their path. They were kind of headed due west across the, the refuge. Just, they continued grazing like, like nothing had ever happened. You know, just one of their buddies had circled back, like they forgot something where they were bedded. So she was all by herself. Um, the other herd had made it into the, uh, the short weapons range. So by the time we got to the bison, um, you know, we started to hear some shots ringing out into the the larger herd and, and they were already scattered and kind of all throughout the property at that point. Gotcha. All right. So this one dies, you know, it's a successful hunt. Tell me your uh, feelings as you walk up to this for, you know, the very first time that you walk up to this animal, what was kind of going through your head at that point? I was just kind of amazed, one, by kind of the historical aspect of this, that there are not many guys who, one, get the chance to do this, and two, 
are successful in doing this with a bow. I mean, nowadays guys do it with a rifle and, you know, it's, it's still a nice hunt not to bash a, a rifle hunter or anything, but to do it with a bow is a little bit different. I mean, there's maybe five to 10 guys in the U S that do it every year with a bow, um, across the four or five States where you can hunt them. So it's just like, wow, you know, this is, this is a bucket list item that's done. I, I can't ever do it again in that state. Um, so that kind of hit me. And then when you get up to them, even though you've been looking at these things for a couple days, the size is just amazing how heavy they are. We tried to, you know, roll her over to get a, a really nice photo. And the two of us couldn't get her rolled over. I mean, we could not get her onto her, kind of onto her knuckles for a, a good photo just because of how heavy they are. And this was a cow. I mean, a, a bull, you would have no chance. I mean, we could not move her without the use of a horse. So what did she so end was, up weighing? Roughly, uh, they they estimated around eleven hundred pounds live weight. My lord, That's and gutted weight was about six fifty. So is right. yeah, they're they're very big. Right. So, and I don't I don't want this question to come off as a. I mean, you did everything legally. You did everything the way you were supposed to, um, and and that's how they hunt this animal. But did you ever have kind of a feeling like it, and I don't want to say it sounds like it was easy, but did you, since the time that you've hunted, did you ever have that kind of feeling like, Hey man, this was just really kind of an easy hunt. It, it certainly was an easier hunt than, you know, any backcountry elk hunt is going to be harder than this. Most mule deer hunts are going to be harder than this. Um, if you were to do this hunt in Utah, another state I applied in, or Arizona or New Mexico, your success rate would go from roughly 90% down to about 10% gotcha. just because of the terrain they're in. Um, the only thing that made this a doable hunt is the fact that there's 60,000 acres that are federally protected, and it is flatter than any Midwestern state you've ever seen. You can gotcha. see the full length of it, and, and I got lucky. I We had... Well, we were there, we had about three feet of snow, um, and we had sub-zero temperatures every night. They had nowhere else to go. They had to come down. So it it was multiple factors, but relatively speaking, yeah, this this is a pretty straightforward hunt, assuming that you have horses. Right. Then then it's doable. If you were on foot, there were some people on foot, um, and and that is not doable. (laughs) There there is no way. Right. They they did not kill a buffalo. So, Mike... My next question to you, you know, with that said, it would be if for some reason this came up again, same exact hunt, same exact scenario, would you do this hunt again? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. It was the the overall experience of it, even outside of the hunting of, right. you know, being able at this point in my life to, to get away with my wife. You know, we had a, right. at the time, a four month old at home and enjoy that time. Plus the, the road trip and the experience of the elk refuge and seeing 7,000 head of elk. Right. Um, in addition to being able to hunt bison there, I, I would absolutely do it again. Cool. And it was one of those things where they had closed this hunt for almost a decade. Um, so it's not like, Oh, you know, this is a, a slam dunk. I think there's a 14% chance of, of drawing a tag this year. Um, and, and those odds have gone down every year. So it's one of those things where I said, if you're going to do it, you got to do it now. It, it's, you know, maybe tough to swing financially now versus in 10 or 20 years, but in 10 or 20 years, this tag might not even be there. 
Right. So is, you know, but if I could do this again or do this every year, absolutely. It was, uh, uh it was just such a different hunt. Right. Right. Absolutely. Now, uh, how much, uh, I take it you had to rent the U-Haul or the budget rental truck because you had so much meat to take back with you? I, I did. And originally, because I knew this was typically a pretty successful hunt, um, I had already booked it before flying out there. And okay. either way, if I was unsuccessful, we were still going to drive it home um, because it was the cheapest option to get home as well. I looked into renting a pickup truck, um, but delivery charges to get it from Illinois back to Wyoming for them was way, way more expensive than it was worth. So uh, it was the cheapest option, and it was, it was great. We were able to, to fit everything in the back, and then we processed the, uh, the bison at home. We processed all our own, our own oh, stuff. Cool. So. so there was no rules or anything about uh, game getting crossed, all those state lines? No, and it was, it was already deboned. Oh, so I got it you. Was, I got it, was, it was good to go. I had taken it to a butcher out there, and they had you know skinned it and did everything for me there, which was great. Gotcha. Cool. How did it taste? It it was excellent. The one thing I will say, so the, the back straps and the tenderloin were just out of this world, delicious and tender. Yep. Um, the leg steaks were surprisingly tough, like tougher than any deer I've ever eaten. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm mainly attributing that to, to the age of the animal. I think it was just when you get an animal that's 11 years old and walks all day in rugged yep. terrain, I think you just build up that you know, the, the tendons and the, the tissue in there. So, um, that was the only part that was a little surprising, but the, the flavor of the meat is very similar to beef, but it's a, a richer and a, a darker meat. Nice. Nice. So last question here for you, what is, what's next on your bucket list then? I think next in the, the near term will be, uh, some easier ones, Wyoming antelope, maybe uh, Wyoming mule deer. Um, long-term the, the ultimate hunt for me is a, is a bighorn sheep. Um, but that is, you know, if you can draw one in your lifetime, you're, you're lucky as could be. So I'm in the, the points game for that. And that's probably just a matter of, of waiting 25 to 30 years and, and hoping to get lucky. Right. I gotcha. And then, um, uh, you get, you, is your goal to do that with a bow then all that with a bow? The, Everything aside from the bighorn, I, I would like to do with a bow and think I can. The, the bighorn sheep, it'll be totally dependent on what age I am, if I draw a tag, um, and kind of the area. Um, right. There's some that are archery only, and those are maybe a little bit easier to draw, so then that would be a bow hunt. But otherwise, on something like that, I, I think I would have to fall into the, the gun crowd, depending on the, the situation. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Kevin, man, I, I appreciate you taking time out of your evening to uh, come on the podcast and uh, BS with us a little bit. Hey, more than happy to join you. Well, the caffeine is wearing off, so that means it's time to go. Huge shout out to Kevin Forrester for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate your time. Thanks again to each and every one of you for downloading the podcast and listening to it with your ears. Um Thank you. Huge shout out again to each and every partner of this podcast. Exodus, Wasp, Ripcord, Deer Lab, Ozonics, Gearhead. Um, all great companies. I really suggest you guys go and check them out. Facebook, Twitter, 
Instagram. Follow me on all those social media platforms. Uh, Go leave a review on iTunes. And if you haven't already, go sign up for the National Deer Alliance. Please. Conservation. We got to start thinking more about these things as hunters and uh, not just in your little world where you feel that your license tags and fees um, actually pay for conservation because really it goes to, you know, could help. But we as hunters need to do more. Um, And National Deer Alliance is a good start. So go sign up. It's free. Other than that, guys, have a great rest of your week have a great weekend and remember if you're in a damn tree wear your damn safety harness have a good one